The duels happened tonight in Daytona, and what an amazing night it was for Roush Fenway Kozlowski racing, sweeping both of the duels. Brad taking it home the first one, Busher taking it home the second. This is the Bernie Lytics podcast. My name is Matt Close. Alongside me tonight is Brandon Monroe. Marky is out of town, but he truly mailed in his predictions. We'll get to those a little bit later in the evening. But just a great night for NASCAR. Amazing duels, in my opinion. I know a couple times here we saw the uh, teams getting split up, especially after pit stops in that first duel, but the second one really kind of showing us how the cars would race, showing us the strong elements of how these cars are able to draft up in some aspects, but also the weaknesses of sometimes how that backtracker just gets lost. And we saw a few cars go a lap down because of that. I mean, we saw that more in the second duel, definitely with uh, Harvick. Uh, that was the most notable one. We'll get to that Leo, when we get to the second duel. Uh, starting out with the first one, though, um, I think that one between the two was definitely the more predictable of the races tonight. Cars got in a single file line. You saw Hendrick show their dominance at the start of the race, and then you saw him do something that I don't know what it is. Maybe they need Chad Knauss or somebody back up there on one of these pit boxes, absolutely butchering the pit strategy. Uh, really looked like they had that race in hand, opted to go with four tires for whatever reason on their pit stop instead of two, put them well behind the eight ball. Um, definitely had some bad effects for Bernie, who was looking pretty good in his uh, predictions that we uh, put out earlier today. Uh, but unfortunately for them, uh, Hendrick Motorsports and some of the other Chevys too, because they felt the the you know the wrath of that with uh, Hendrick just messing up that call. Um, really gave life to the Fords. We knew the Fords were going to be fast in the practice. Uh, didn't really show it much at the beginning of the race, but after those pit stops, they really took off. And Brad Keselowski, what can you say? Um, I think we all know he's a really good plate racer. I was worried about him. I think you were too. Not as much as say Martin Truex Jr. after the clash, but Brad did show us at least here where it is a track where we thought, hey, you know, with his experience, with his skill set, he'd be able to bridge that gap and and make the team better. And he showed that one race in at Daytona, uh, puts number six car in victory lane. Great start to the night. We'll get more into dual two two after and how that um, the outcome was. But I think the big thing that we saw in Duel 1 was the finish of the race. You know, Brad was able to time out a run. He was able to suck up, make a move. Maybe not as much as you saw in the old Gen 6 cars, but definitely better than, say, the beginning of the Generation 6 era when you had that bubble and it was almost impossible to pass. So seeing somebody able to pull out, make a move, slingshot by the leader, I think that is a good sign for Sunday. Uh, Ryan Blaney then tried something similar. He pushed Brad out in front and then he lagged back to get help from Austin Sindrick. And I don't know, you know, how you uh, felt about that, but I think Austin Sindrick made the complete wrong move there trying to go for the win himself instead of pushing Blaney, which to me anyways, looked like was the plan that, uh, Blaney had in his head. Yeah, there were definitely some questionable moves there at the end that ended up really helping Brad win that race without any, like any contest. Uh, it, but as you've said it a few times, they're pushing, pushing, pushing. This is not something we've really gotten to see in the past few years because the bubble was so bad that e even if you push somebody, it, you were pushing them more with air or hitting, not really hitting their bumper. If you got to their bumper, you slung them so far out ahead, you just never really got to touch them again. But also what I saw massively different tonight from practice is how stable these cars were when they were being pushed. I mean, those Fords, in, especially... Uh, Blaney on Brad a couple of times really laying on that bumper and the car just looked stable. And I I'm kind of attributing that to the regulations on the skew and some of the other changes on the rear end of that car that NASCAR implemented after practice. Yeah, I, I definitely think that helped. You really saw it on that last lap when Blaney just pushed Brad out in front. Um, didn't really seem like there was a lot of moving around. The cars did look pretty stable, which is a good sign. I don't think you're going to be able to link up in tandem like you did think some, you know, some people were thinking maybe you could do after the testing and there were talks of that. I don't think it's at that point, but that was a really good push that Blaney gave him. And I would have liked to see what would have happened if Sindrick didn't decide to make that move, which really screwed everything up on the backstretch and allowed Brad to just 
get out front and stay there on that last half lap. Um, I think Cindric probably could have pushed Blaney back by. I don't think Brad would have tried making a block, which is the opposite of the move that somebody else made in Duel, duel 2. Um, but all in all, great night for Brad Keselowski. Um, it is an exhibition race. You do get the 10 points, I guess, for winning the duel. You know, basically the uh, just the stage points, essentially, without the playoff point bonus to go with it. But to come out here with that team in that car, because the six car really hasn't had a lot of success, and that is Roush's, you know, flagship number. All in all, just a great debut at Daytona, at least, for that team. Yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to bring up another point. I'm just trying to get the numbers up in front of me here. The racing was not as fast in the race tonight either as practice. I noticed um, multiple times. So practice, we were seeing laps like 192, 193. In some cases, I think it, there might have been one as high as 195 at one point. The race pace tonight, many times I saw on the ticker, high to mid 180s. So a lot slower. I just I can't believe these drivers were pushing as hard or if maybe these uh, some changes happening tonight versus practice. I, you could have seen that with the rule changes. I, I felt, at least in the first one, too, they weren't really pushing it. Um, the differences between the first duel and the second duel, even at the beginning, you saw a lot of side-by-side racing in Duel 2. It looked like in Duel 1, um, they kind of just got in the line and, and stayed there. Uh, and that could be um, because of the Hendrick cars that were out front. I know one, two, three lined up. It was like that for most of the first stint in the race until the pit stops. William Byron did get shuffled out there uh, near the end of that run before the pit stops. Uh, but there really wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't until you got to the end there when you saw Blaney really pushing the envelope there with Keselowski, Cindric, uh, even Chase Briscoe mixing it up there at the end as well, that you started seeing them um, making moves and probably diagnosing what they could do come Sunday. Uh, I think at least those four guys, it wouldn't shock me if one of them learned something that they're going to be able to take to the track on Sunday and be able to put it in there and, and figure out how to use it and help them possibly win the Daytona 500. Yeah, and notably so, it just these cars are so consistent, and it really just this and like you said they ran so single file in the first duel it really came down to pit stops and i think that's where we can really evaluate how bernie did tonight is he wanted to project the hendrick cars out front chase elliott to win kyle larson second uh william byron's a little bit further back but notably the top two there and it was looking like it was going to shape up in that direction until the pit stop calls happened and where the Chevys and the Ford split and the Chevys really messed up with that four tire stop, which actually now that I now that we're covering that was so much slower than I thought it was going to be. I was coming home from work the other night and heard uh, it was actually the night of qualifying. Canals talking to Larry Mack on Sirius XM stating that he thought pit stops would be in the 10 second to nine uh, mid 10, maybe even see some nines here this season. And those four tire stops by the Hendricks team this tonight were in the 13 second range. Yeah, no, I was going to say like, I, I got the feeling just by watching them and even some other teams in some of the other races that it, it didn't, it almost looked like and felt like they didn't really know what they were doing. It, it kind of looked like the, uh, the guys taking the tires off, you know, the, the changers there, uh, they seem kind of slow. I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was somebody in the second duel. It might have been Cindric, and it didn't really affect, or not in the second duel. He was in the first duel. So, yeah, in the first duel, Cindric, where it looked like he was trying to pull the tire off and almost got caught, like, right on the fender. So I, I wonder if there's something going on there, because the wheels are bigger, and the way the design is, maybe there's not as much clearance, and it's a little bit harder to get in there and pull the actual wheel off. Yeah, because even notably, the two tire stops were almost nines, which is high for compared <laughs> to last year. So I'm with you. I think at one point I even saw some guy like dumbfounded staring at the jack like he didn't know whether the jack wasn't high enough or the tire. The tire just wasn't coming off for him. Uh, it, they kind of looked like clowns at one point for one of the teams. <laughs> you know, I, I agree. There were a couple like that. I, I think the nine second range on the, some of those two might have just been teams making sure they had enough fuel. You don't want to be like uh, Jimmy and Chad a couple of years ago here where they literally ran out of fuel in the duels coming out of turn four and caused a huge wreck. 
uh, that that's pretty embarrassing. So maybe the teams are just playing it on the safe side because uh, you don't want anything stupid like that to happen. I would say that might be why it was a little bit slower. It comes the actual races and stuff. Are we going to see that? Maybe. Really depends on when you're doing these two tire stops. Obviously, if you have a earlier yellow in the race, you don't have to wait on the fuel. You could probably go. Uh, but that that is something because I. I think they were saying, I don't remember where I heard it, but I think it was last year. They were saying, ah, the pit stops are probably going to be the same because they're going to be waiting on the guys on the fuel. And, you know, you listen to Chad, what he said on the radio the other day, that didn't sound like it'd be the case. And then you come here today and they're definitely waiting on the fuel. And that's probably going to slow down two tire pit stops. And if somebody like Chad Knauss is saying that, hey, we could get 10 second stops, uh, you know, four tire pit stops. I wonder if that might cut down on the amount of two-tire stops here at some point during the season. Yeah, it would definitely be the case because it's not going to save you all that much time if you're waiting on the fuel. Uh, <laughs> and it just comes down to, too, is like how often are we going to be waiting on the fuel? Because a lot of the time we're taking two-tire stops, it's because maybe the last set wasn't that long ago. Right. So you haven't burnt that much. So it's we'll have to wait and see kind of deal. Um, yeah, at least for Daytona. Um, if you're doing full fuel runs, you might just want to throw the four tires on there, assuming that you could actually <laughs> get the tires on and off. But back to what you were saying before, too, about Bernie. Um, he was he was doing a good job tonight. Um, obviously, we started working on him last year, and towards the end of the season, you know, we started seeing the results and him spitting out his numbers and you know being able to put together teams on the fantasy side and. I'd say the last four races, he's had some hits. We've had some good teams, and it's really been stuff out of our control. You know, the, the numbers are there. The teams are doing what he predicts. But you had, you know, Phoenix last year. We're, we're in position with some of our lineups to get a big payday. David Starr, uh, unfortunately, with his break issues there, really hurt us. Uh, you know, we went from having teams in the the top five in some tournaments. I know I had one that was right on the cusp of finishing first or second, bring home a couple grand would have been great. You have an issue like that ruins your day. Uh, same thing at the Coliseum, maybe not to that extent, but it looked like it was going to be another positive day. And within a matter of minutes, you had Chase Briscoe, Tyler Reddick and Denny Hamlin, all their cars break again, ends the day before it really could begin. Today was probably closer to the clash. Maybe he wasn't trending towards that big payout, but you look at the numbers, you see what the teams are doing, and you kind of go, yeah, this is going in the right direction. We're definitely seeing it work here. And then you just have somebody like Hendrick Motorsports just drop the ball on the pit call. And, you know, when you're playing daily fantasy uh, or sports betting in general, it doesn't matter what you do. Anytime there's money on the table, stuff like that's going to happen. And you're going to remember the things that go wrong a lot of the times more than the good. But all in all, uh, very pleased with Bernie's numbers in the first duel. Definitely seemed like he was on point. And, uh, Definitely makes me look forward going into the 500. You know, even the truck race and the Xfinity race, I'm sure we might be able to knock some out for that too. Uh, so for the rest of the weekend, uh, it's just going to come down. Cross your fingers. Hope you guys don't get any wrecks. That's basic plate racing. But if we could do that, I think we could have a good weekend. Yeah, I mean, and notably tonight, uh, for some people like Kaz Grawla, he had higher up there in the first duel because of a previous finish that went well. And Justin Haley all the way at the tail end, because usually Justin Haley was in an underfunded team where this year uh, with colleagues he's definitely going to have a better opportunity to get these better finishes. So thankfully, we had the duel before the 500, too, because Bernie will definitely take that into account and move the drivers based on their rides this year versus their previous uh, the first duel, though, being at 80.5% accuracy, uh, average position differential rate right around four. So guessing on average drivers be either plus or minus four from the original prediction is actually really good for Daytona. We know from training Bernie in the offseason and going through the last 25 years of NASCAR that Talladega and Daytona, for obvious reasons, are usually 60% accuracy, maybe 70. We would have really considered good for a plate track. His worst race of all time was like an Xfinity race, Daytona 500 in 2000, or not Daytona 500. I know what you meant. <laughs> Daytona race in 2005. Uh, and that was like 55%, which is obviously awful. You don't rather flip a coin when you're making your bets on that day. So 80% in the first duel. 
Not to mention, we pinpointed three drivers 100% dead accurate on where they would finish. We had Ryan Blaney predicted to finish third, finished third, Sam Chastain in 10th, and then even all the way back down in the field, Cole Custer finishing 16th at 100% accuracy. Well, that really says something about Cole Custer then. Well, we know he hasn't had the best performance, uh, and I know we always talk about this might be putting him on the hot seat soon here is uh there's definitely some people in the ford camp coming up through the ranks uh, i i don't know i think he's probably in the same camp in terms of he, he might might he might be on the hot seat but just given his situation and who is at Stuart haas uh i don't think he has anything to worry about yet but we'll see uh obviously 16th not good especially when your teammate briscoe's up there contending for the win um but Hey, I'll, I'll take three dead on spots any day of the week at a race like this. So it's a good start. Yeah. So that that first duel, not really exciting on the track. We learned a lot from pit stops and how that's really going to affect the big race on Sunday and uh, some disappointing times. But at least now the teams have that data point that two tires does go well. Uh, it will work and definitely be dominant over the four. But <laughs> Looking towards Duel 2, man, that was exciting to watch. Learned a lot about these cars. They can race side by side. You can get that high line running. They can bump their way to the front. But then something started to happen after 10, 15 laps, even through the middle of the race. That back car just fell off. And then all of a sudden, a few laps later, like 10, 15 laps later, we're going around and you see that car going a lap down. We saw this even happen when you get blown by too fast. There's no chance to grab onto that draft. You know, you know, you know what it reminded me of. You know, when we used to like race on Forza. That's what that freaking reminded me of. Where like the second you lose the draft there, you would just slide all the way back. <laughs> and you saw that a couple times. And like I was saying before, most notably with uh, Harvick. Um, granted, that was partially because he was trying to latch on to other you know, groups of cars and he just wasn't able to make it stick. Um, he did lose it after the pit stops though. So that, that was a bit puzzling, but I, um, that, that's something to keep an eye on because if you keep having that problem of that last car, just dropping off, you're possibly going to see smaller packs in these races. Yeah. I mean, and notably so with Harvick though, is when he left the pits, he left with the Ford camp and, their deal was that when Harvick got left off, I guess they had this strategy. They were going to fan out and give him this nice big wide pack of air and catch him right back up. And they left him to dry. I mean, these other four teams actually just left Harvick out to dry, which was amazing. I, I In this day and age, you just don't see that because these manufacturers have their own meetings on top of the team meetings to make sure that you do everything to make them look good. I. I think you could chalk that up similar to Austin Sindrick deciding to pass Ryan Blaney at the end of the first duel instead of pushing him. Uh, I could chalk that up to a rookie mistake because I believe Harrison Burton was the fourth car in line there, and maybe he just didn't get the memo or what. But Harvick seemed on the radio that, hey, the guy in fourth wasn't doing what he should do. And maybe Harrison Burton just didn't know quite what Harvick was talking about. Um would have been interesting to see if, say, Harvick had a teammate up there like Eric Amarola, who unfortunately had issues during this race, finished a couple laps down, or maybe like a Chase Briscoe who showed speed and seemed to have more of an understanding of what was going on around him. Maybe if Harrison Burton had a bit more experience, he would have been able to make the right move there. Um, but that really just ruined Harvick's night. He seemed like he had a car capable of contending for the win. And then after that, when he tried to tack on with the Toyotas, um, along with Ricky Stenhouse Jr., he just wasn't able to keep up, and he fell off. And I think there were a couple guys that had that problem, like you were saying, but Harvick was definitely the most notable. He just could not keep up with the pack when he got shuffled to the tail end there. I mean, I think it was happening farther back too with Denny. We just didn't see it because they were all, the at this point the Toyotas were ten seconds behind and just doing whatever they needed to do to finish the race. But even when Denny went a full lap down after spinning out on pit road and got back to where the Toyota camp was and they blew by him on the high side, he he caught some air, but then notably he was lagging. He was still like three ten three quarters of a second off the rear bumper. I mean, yes, behind him was Cody Ware and then Stenhouse and even them 
struggling to keep up with the tail end of that field, it it does cause some concern that in the when not so much when we didn't see this when we had the two wide big pack at the beginning, but after right. pit stops and we start breaking down, we're gonna get all these single cars that are just left around the track. Yeah, I mean, maybe with Denny, maybe something got screwed up there when he went for the spin. Um, oh, he, he ended up going through the grass. I don't know if it's a splitter design or maybe the cars aren't as packed down as they used to, but at least the splitter didn't dig in there and tear the whole front end off. Um, stinks for him that it really ruined his night. It's kind of a gift for us, though, when it comes to picking teams for Sunday because he's going to have a worse starting spot. So that's something to keep an eye on, at least for the Daily Fantasy, uh, him starting back there. but. I can't help but think maybe just something went awry there. Maybe something, even if it was just a, a little piece that got a little dinged up from that issue, it might have taken a little bit off his car. Uh, hopefully for his sake, that's what it is. If there's anything wrong with it, they could fix it up for Sunday. But definitely not the night Denny Hamlin wanted, that's for sure. What was going on with the Toyotas in general tonight, though? Because after they pit and they do the normal thing, I don't think anybody's surprised. We've seen Toyota a number of times pit early in these plate races and think that that's the strategy to go with to be on their own and they run a little bit faster. But man, those Fords just they were hauling tonight and they were going to they almost lapped the Toyotas before they even hit pit road. I mean, they they had the numbers. Unfortunately for them, they really got broken up on that pit stop to the point where, you know, it was pretty even after they pit at one point, the Toyotas were reeling them back in when they got, you know, Denny to catch back or when they caught back up to Denny after he went a lap down. And when they had Stenhouse there as well, they're beginning to chip away. But I think what their biggest problem was there was just the fact they only had like four cars in that draft and the Fords. And I think Stenhouse was in there at that point still before that pit stop, they, they had more cars. And I think that ultimately is the reason why they were able to catch back up. It is surprising, though, since it was only one or two more, the amount that they were able to close that gap and basically, like you said, almost lap them, that was surprising. Because you could see that if you know the, you had a pack of like four cars in the front and you had a pack of ten cars pushing. But only like a one or two car difference. I know we saw it in practice. I think you really saw it in that race there. When it comes to the actual racing that these cars do in the packs, the Fords definitely have it. You know, Hendrick might have that single car speed. That's why they were so good in qualifying the other day. But these Fords, man, they, they look like they have something really tough. And uh, I have a feeling that one of them is going to be in victory lane on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know the car count off the top of my head between Chevy and Ford, but I do know Toyota is definitely the smallest manufacturer as far as of car count when it comes to who's going to be on track on Sunday. So it leaves me to believe that if they're even two or three cars short in their pack, if they try and pit as a manufacturer away from the Ford and Chevy teams, they it just won't work out well for them. So I, I think you might see them kind of work with the Chevys on Sunday. I mean, they really have to, <laughs> even if the Chevys don't want them to, I think they're going to have to, they're going to have to pay attention to when those guys pit come down with them. I think they're the best chance of them. You know, if this race does turn into like a green flag run at the end is they got to hope they got to have like Rex or something at the beginning of the race. Um, Cause if you whittle those numbers down on the other teams, then it's going to be easier for them to say, all right, you know, JGR cars and 2311 cars come work with us. Um, that's probably going to be their best bet if the race evolves into that situation. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the finish now, too. Joey Logano, <laughs> your thoughts on uh, what happened there on that last lap? It was Joey Logano. That, to me, that's what happened. I mean, this guy wrecks his teammate more teammates more than not when it comes to these plate tracks i mean yes the initial wreck wasn't with a teammate it was with another four but still in the end somehow harrison yeah. burton basically a teammate got caught up in this so i think i think that's just hilarious I, uh, I, this guy does not leave a plate track without wrecking another car that his team has to fix i i just couldn't believe that he made that move on busher who if we we didn't mention chris busher ended up winning this race um, I think you mentioned it in the lead-in, though. Uh, Roush Fenway Kozlowski Racing sweeping Thursday in the duels. Did not have that on my cue card. Um, not at all. 
I did pick Brad to win Duel 1. That was mostly a value bet on the sports books. Um, Chris Busher, I think he's an underrated plate racer. Not really on my radar. He was up there all night. Definitely makes me think that that team, which you've seen him have plate success in the past. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. won a couple races you know, a couple years ago when he was still driving for him. Ryan Newman had some good runs there in the past when he was there. But maybe Brad Keselowski has taken that team to the next level. Uh, who wins? Remember, they get points for winning these races. So Roush, Fenway, Keselowski racing right now. They are in the points lead. Time for the points lead. Brad Keselowski, Chris Buescher. I know it's just 10 points. It's just essentially a stage. But that's a huge, huge win for that team. Definitely not a win, though, for Joey Logano tonight. Um, I, I still can't believe that he tried to throw that block in a dual race. I know you get these points, but you just wrecked your Daytona 500 car. It's not worth it. And he said in his post-race interview, where if he just lets him go by worst case scenario, you finish fourth and you're going to be starting like eighth on Sunday. That was somebody, you know, he, he just wasn't thinking. And unfortunately it took himself out. It did damage Harrison Burton's car. It looked like, as of right now, they're going to try to repair it. Obviously, you don't know how damaged the internals are. The, at least the you know the outer shell of the car looked like it was salvageable, which I hope they could get that fixed because he did pretty good tonight. You know, Kevin Harvick might disagree. Kevin might, Kevin Harvick might want to go and like talk to him between the haulers and say something or do something to him. He was not happy with how uh, the race went with him and uh, you know when he lost the draft there. But I was impressed by Harrison Burton. Unfortunate he got caught up in Joey's mess. And, you know, I don't know how Joey's backups cars is going to do. They're going to have some time to work on it. I think they have another practice session or two before Sunday. But just not one of his best moments um, when it comes to this type of racing. It comes down to it, I'm not shocked. And at the same I'm not shocked because it's Joey and he's done this before and he's can be an aggressive driver especially when he thinks he's going for a win and at the same time I like the energy that he has I can see where it comes from every race is a race you want to win I mean yes it wasn't looking in the long term especially with these teams I'm not even sure if his backup is directly there tonight it, I, it was they were it was. they were pulling it out yeah they were pulling it out after but I don't know how ready it is because they were talking in the post race that they're going to have to look over the parts and it sounded like they were going to try to salvage stuff off the primary car so it sounds like they basically have a roller and a chassis in there but i don't know if it's had you know if it has an engine in it i don't know what parts are good on it they might be trying to scrap stuff off the the car he wrecked and it wouldn't shock me if they had to call up to the shop and bring something down maybe not a whole car obviously but some type of parts because it it seemed like while it was there, it's definitely not close to being race ready at the moment. Yeah. Either way, I, I love the energy. I like the effort. Uh, it made the duel at least a little bit exciting there at the end with him really trying to race it out, unfortunately wrecking himself. And I mean, I can give credit to any guy that just wants to go out and win races. I mean, I guess he was trophy hunting. I guess Matt Collig would like that, <laughs> but I I just I don't know. It's it's one of those things where you know that that car probably could have won the Daytona 500. And these backups are obviously a lot more well prepared than they used to be way back in the day, but it just just kind of leaves you shaking your head. Um, if there's anybody that could come from the back, I guess Joey Logano would be the person. Uh, very good at these types of tracks. Obviously has a Daytona 500 in 2015. Uh, has won multiple races at Talladega, so. I think he'll be able to overcome it, but he definitely has his work cut out for him now. Yeah. So with all that, let's dive into a little bit of like what Bernie thought was going to happen in the second duel. Uh, originally projecting Denny to win, which I don't think is outlandish at all with the way that Denny's performed at these plate tracks recently. But unfortunately, Denny taking himself out of the running there, going down into pit road, and that's just going to be a learning experience in these cars. And I mean, we don't often see veterans wheel hop it into pit road and spin out but it does happen uh and then second kevin harvick also was running great before everything happened with the pit stops i think had he kept up with the ford camp that was definitely a reasonable projection so those are notably a couple that turned out really bad ultimately joey logano who was we thought up until out of turn two was probably going to win this race 
was projected to finish fourth and came in ninth uh, was the official scoring after all the cars were junked and the smoke cleared. And of course, uh, the accuracy for this race overall being 70% and a big, uh, a big factor of that was Harrison Burton. Not a lot of experience in these cup cars. We don't have a lot of history on them. And of course, uh, Bernie penalizes that heavy and told us he was going to come home 18th. So only a 28% accuracy on trying to score Harrison Burton, seeing he came all the way home in third. So definitely a more confusing race, especially with the wreck at the end, especially with how the cars dangled off the end of these draft lines. But still a positive result, uh, in my opinion. Like I said, 70 is what we expect. This is exactly what we expect at a plate track. I mean, we know many times, and especially come Sunday, there is going to be a big one that just junks half of our lineup. Yeah, like this one, I definitely felt like dual one, just paying attention to the numbers and stuff throughout the race. That was the better one of the two. Uh, Shows it in the final result, too, as well. Um, But just over the course of the race, this was trending decent. It was looking like it was going to be about a break even, which is okay, especially at a plate track. But once the pit stop started, you know, Denny spinning himself out, um, Harvick dropping back, that really hurt because I I went Ford heavy in this one. Really thought that they were going to be the ones to beat, and they were. But, you know, you factor in your three or four Fords, you throw Denny Hamlin on a team because he's Denny Hamlin, and... You just watch it all fall apart. This this was one, while there wasn't like a true big one like you're talking about that you're probably going to see on Sunday that could just junk everybody's field. Um, this was a situation where it was just kind of a, a slow, painful death. You know, death by a million paper cuts. That's that's pretty much what it was, because you just started seeing it slip off. The Denny spinning, Harvick losing the draft, and then Joey junking his car at the end of the race. Uh not as good of a comeback. You know, we were able to salvage a little bit in that first duel. Second one, not so much. Still got some payouts. Not quite on the break even, unfortunately. But all in all, it wasn't a terrible night. And like I was saying before, y- you want to see it, you know, you want to see improvement. You want to see the numbers show that, hey, this is working. And it was just another unfortunate situation where you don't catch the breaks. Things don't go your way. And at the end of the day, you kind of just leave scratching your head but that's the name of the game if we keep seeing this um you know trajectory um i think when you get into the more quote-unquote normal tracks uh you're gonna start seeing the results like we almost had it at phoenix last year i think we were gonna see it at the coliseum auto club las vegas phoenix again coming up here in a couple weeks after we get out of daytona I think that's when you're really going to start Bernie, um, seeing Bernie shine. And I can't wait for those races. Daytona's fun. There's a lot more money at Daytona, at least in the Daily Fantasy, because it is one of your bigger races. But I think in the coming weeks, we're going to really start to see him build. And hopefully, it's going to be a lot sooner than I thought with this new car. I was thinking maybe, you know, a quarter or halfway into the season it was going to take. I'm beginning to feel like we might be getting some good results here right out of the gate once we leave Daytona. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think the performance has changed much as far as driver and teams, even with the new next gen car. I know we had some concerns after the clash, but I'm a little okay with throwing those results almost out the window. We don't really know what equipment the teams brought there, who really wanted to try and who really wanted to be there and who really cared to win and who and all. There's just so many questions when it's an exhibition race and teams have limited funding, limited parts or and whatnot but overall super excited even with the daytona scores tonight just to we went over the perfect scores in the first one we'll go with the perfect scores here in the second one so in the second one we had two perfect scores ty dillon finishing 12th which is mid-pack i think that's where we all kind of expect ty dillon to finish and then i mean this is kind of almost a no-brainer timmy hill finishing 20th uh I, I would agree. That's, There's only that's two or three writer. spots where you can project Timmy Hill to finish. So to hit yeah. that on the nose, I don't think it's a big shock. I'll, I'll take it. I mean, we we were half a lap away from probably hitting Joey. You know, it was just one one mistake there. I'm not sweating it. You know, it's plate racing at the end of the day. So it is what it is. Got some hits. Showed some 
decent numbers, at least at the beginning of the race, before things started getting a little messed up with the pit stops and all of that. But, you know, I, I think you're right about the clash, too. Um, I think that is something maybe you can throw out a little bit, at least with some of the people that we missed on. Like, I know with Martin Truex Jr. Uh, being lost in a Bass Pro Shop, I, I have to say, I felt like I was lost in a Bass Pro Shop tonight because every freaking time I looked up at the TV and I saw Austin Dillon in the lead, I was like, what the hell is Martin Truex Jr. in the lead? He doesn't, he doesn't run good here. And then I'm like, no, these guys think it's so freaking cool to run the same sponsor in almost identical paint schemes. I would hate to be a spotter for one of those teams. Like, you think Bass Pro Shops would, you know, break it up? You know, spread, spread out your money so you can have more of your cars in different races instead of pairing them on each other. But that was a little bit painful tonight. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, it's not like it happened one time in each duel. There was a second duel. It was two two pairs of cars because there was also Joey and McDowell, both these bright yellow cars, simple wording on the hood. And based on the camera angle, there were many times I was like, oh, hey, look, McDowell's out front. He's doing really good on this race. And I was like, oh, no, never mind. It's Joey. Yeah, yeah, freaking Joey's car looks like Michael McDowell's car. I don't know what it is. Like, I, I like Joey's paint scheme this year. It's clean, but man, it, it looks like uh, a lower-funded car. I don't know what it is, but there's just not a lot of pop to it. Yeah, a lot, a lot of confusion. There was a couple confusing pairs there, and hopefully they get that figured out. I feel bad for the spotters, like you said, on the roof. And then at a two-and-a-half-mile track like Daytona, they're far enough away on the backstretch there. I, you're going to get confused. Yeah, I, I, hey, I'm not a spotter, so I don't need to worry about it. The only thing I can think of is maybe Joey agreed with me with the car not having a lot of pops, so he had to put it in it by putting it in the wall. Yeah, but so <laughs> uh, great, great racing tonight. Uh, at times, yes, it, there were lulls and it got boring, but what do you expect when teams are trying to save their cars? But tomorrow night, all hell breaks loose. Trucks are going to take to the banks of Daytona. And these guys every year always race their hearts out to win. Yeah, I mean, I you always hear like the truck series. They're uh, they're always one of the best ones to to watch during the weekend. Shorter races, probably some inexperience involved in there as well. That definitely spices it up a bit. I know I can't wait. Uh, you have a lot of you know new blood in that series this year, and obviously your regular old veterans like say a Matt Crafton. Um, do you have anybody, uh, you know, projecting? Obviously, I don't think we've run the numbers for Bernie yet, but just looking at the field, somebody that you think uh, could maybe jump out and get a win to start off the year. I mean, we do have the full numbers for Bernie. Oh, at the truck. I didn't know we have the truck ones yet. Yeah, I, we ran them earlier tonight during the uh, Daytona race, so we got those for you. This year and at the end of last year, I think Bernie was kind of trending towards him as Zane Smith. Uh, we, When we were running Bernie at the end of the season there, he really had a big circle around Zane Smith. And I do think this is, this might be his year to get it done. That's not a bad pick. I know he's changing teams, but he's taking Todd Gilliland's seat. So that's actually not bad. Uh, pretty solid truck. Todd was just... I don't, he had some bad luck at Bristol, and if he was able to get through that Bristol race, he ranked good enough in the next round of the playoffs where I believe he would have made the Final Four. So it's not really a fall-off in equipment. Um, Zane Smith, pretty solid driver. That's actually a pretty solid pick. I, I actually like that. I might have to work that into some teams or maybe just outright bet him because he's he's not bad. That's That's a decent one to just start it right off. Yeah, I mean, even when we were just starting Bernie and giving... Bernie, his initial knowledge last year was at Martinsville. He picked Zane Smith and everybody kind of like laughed at me and said, hey, this program you wrote, this AI you were building, pick Zane Smith to win this race. That's never going to happen. And then within a few hours there, we saw him cross and taking the checkered flag. And I just kind of want to turn around and tell you all told you so. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that that that's not a bad one. Um, I know. I obviously I haven't looked at the numbers yet. Um, but just going through the list, seeing who's there. Um, I know Ben Rhodes won this race last year. Doesn't really strike me, though, as a, a restrictor plate type driver. I think I'm sticking to chalk right now in terms of the race. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek, he, he kind of comes off to me as I think he ended the season. Obviously, he didn't win the championship, and he was the favorite going into that last race of the year. But I think this is one of those races where he's going to go out there and kind of just 
try to right it wrong. I think he knows he messed up in that Phoenix race, was a little too aggressive early. I think he wants to go out there, make a statement, and pick up the win and just start off this season where he almost left off anyways last year. Uh, KBM equipment's very good. Uh, you have some good teammates, Chandler Smith being one. He ended the year very well last year. Wouldn't be surprised to see him running up there. Um, but nothing nothing really crazy jumping out. Uh, you know, another chalk pick, too. I guess Grant Enfinger. He's back full-time this year. Um, moving over to, I believe, GMS. That's somebody very, very good plate racer. Has wins at both Talladega and Daytona. I think that's somebody to keep an eye on. He kind of unfortunately got lost in the shuffle last year with musical chairs there with um, drivers right before the beginning of the season. Lost his full-time ride. Had to share the car with um, Christian Eckes, who I believe is full-time. I have to double-check that because Thor Sport, they have some moving pieces still going around. But I believe he's going to be in the car full-time this year, or truck full-time this year. That's that's another person, too, to look at. Like I was saying, the person that uh, split the ride with Enfinger last year on that team. Uh, Eckes got a win at Vegas. I think that was somebody who unfortunately got lost in the shuffle with Toyota. Kind of like Grant, where he lost his full-time ride. They had to pair him up together and, and split a ride last year. He was pretty decent at KBM. He couldn't finish races. That's something you saw him do last year at the end of the season when he got that Vegas win. I think that's another guy you might want to keep an eye on comes tomorrow night. Yeah, and of course, here looking at early projections, Bernie's trying to choose Austin Hill to win tomorrow night, which isn't a long shot pick uh, in any way. Uh, if I was going to pick a second person outside of Zane Smith that I think is going to win tomorrow night, it'd probably be John Hunter. Uh, I think I've seen him have some a lot of confidence here at these plate tracks and be out front and just know how to kind of carry the truck around here. It I've, a few times he tries to get himself into trouble. I'm looking at this right now. It looks like he has a little bit of a DNF rate at Daytona. So as long as he can keep that truck clean, I think he has the confidence to go out and win. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of a different ride this year with Austin Hill. Um, but he, he has shown what he has what it takes. He obviously won here a couple years ago when he was driving the 16 truck. Um, again, I think it's the, the Spire truck that he's in. So, new team, but he's a pretty solid driver, at least at these tracks. It wouldn't shock me if he was able to make a run. Um, just going over the numbers here, too, since I was able to pull him up. <laughs> um, somebody that I have my eye on and, you know, Bernie apparently doesn't is Jordan Anderson. Um, he's had a couple good runs at Daytona before. Um, and I haven't looked at the DraftKings salaries yet, but that could be somebody where if you're looking for a budget guy, if he's on the lower end, like he normally is, I'm not saying he's going to win, but that's definitely somebody you're probably going to want to try to work your way onto a team. Yeah. I'm just looking across the stats here for Jordan Anderson. Nine, roughly an average finish of ninth here at Daytona. Uh, it does look like he's had a DNF in his recent history, which would be taken into account. But more notably, his last five and last 10 average finishes are in the 20, uh, 21st, which is probably yeah. what's gotten him a little bit down the lineup. Yeah, that's, that's something we probably got to work on is just kind of, you know, Zeroing in on specific tracks where these drivers are better at. Uh, Jordan Anderson is probably somebody that I look at, and I think you're probably going to want to work into uh, some teams. Uh, Johnny Sauter's another one. Um, I know he hasn't been himself over the last couple of years, but given that it's Daytona, he's always been good at these types of tracks. Probably another one, depending on the value, you might want to try to take a shot on, throw him on a team as a flyer. I don't think that's going to be a bad pick either. Yeah, I, and I think notably so, we always have to take into account that, like we said, these truck these truck drivers are aggressive. They're always willing to go for the win, especially when it comes down to the end. They they almost lock bumpers to the, the point that we always question if NASCAR knows what the, the uh, tandeming penalty is when it comes to the last couple of laps. So anything could end up happening. And that also goes said for the Xfinity series, which is going to be going out on... Saturday and that's another series that the drivers are known to be aggressive we've definitely got some 
young guys in there that are going to be going for it. Yeah, um, I know for this one, um, I don't really have the young guys circled. Um, there's two teams that have really dominated this type of racing over the last couple years of the series, and that's uh, Junior Motorsports and College Racing. Um, I know Justin Haley isn't running this race, and that's the one that really jumps out between those two teams that's had the most success over the last couple of years. But, you know, AJ Allmendinger is somebody that's been near the front in these races. Noah Gregson won at Daytona a couple of years ago. Uh, they have Daniel Hemrick now at Colleague, who is the defending series champion. There's just a lot of people on these two teams that are going to be near the front, and these two organizations always seem to run good here. I think. It's going to be one of them. I know that's a wide range, uh, but when I look at this, I say it's probably going to come from one of those teams. They're both Chevys. I don't expect them to you know, work together, but if anything happens, we know how tight these manufacturers are. If you get a junior motorsports college racing roadblock up front, it's going to be really hard to pass them, and I wouldn't be shocked if we see something, excuse me, something like that comes uh, Saturday. Yeah, I mean, that directly aligns with the numbers. Hemrick projected first, Dinger projected third. You've got Junior Motorsports, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Josh Berry a little bit further down there at 13th. But again, that's just because not always running these full seasons, not running all the time. Uh, the only person in there that kind of broke up that line, if you didn't notice there's a space, is Ty Gibbs. So... It's kind of going to be his first full-time season in the Xfinity Series. Not, not only his first full-time season, he didn't run any of these plate races last year. Um, I I was very surprised when Gibbs didn't enter him in any of these races at the end of the season last year, whether it be the Trucks or Xfinity when they were at Talladega. That's somebody... Yeah, he's run at these tracks in Arca. Arca is a complete different animal than the Xfinity Series. I think Ty Gibbs is a championship contender. It's not going to shock me one bit if he's lifting the trophy comes November in Phoenix. But for this race, him being number two, I just don't see it. Um, the the lack of experience here, and I'm sure that's what people were saying at the beginning of the year last year in his first start when he won on the Daytona Road Course. But I don't know. I think I think plate racing is just a different animal. Not saying it's harder or easier than other types of tracks, but it's just different. And I don't know if he's going to be able to gather the experience he needs to make stuff happen at the end of this race. Um, if he comes out of this race with a top five, that's a huge success, in my opinion, for him. Yeah, I mean, I think with the aggression that we've seen out of him in the past and what it takes to be up front at Daytona for a portion of the race, we might see him lead a few laps here or there, depending on how the way pit stops and cautions work out. But I'm with you. I don't think. I don't think anybody's really going to work with him too much being the new guy out there. Sometimes that's an issue, especially the teams that we expect to be up front won't be working with him. Uh, so I'm with you. I don't expect to see him win. I do expect that he will go out and at least lead a few laps. And if you have him on your team, he'll get you a few fastest laps out there. Uh, it really won't be worth much money uh, in the salary I wouldn't spend anything over 9500 If he's any higher than that, I'd probably skip. I, I might be a little bit lower on that in terms of skipping him or having him on the team. But, you know, it's it, it's going to be interesting to see what he could do. Um, again, I don't, I don't think he's going to win. Maybe he'll shut me up and go out there and actually do it. But, like I said before, top, top five for him, huge success. Um, I'm with you, especially if he's tailing these cars i know we're talking about fast laps at a plate track that's not going to be the guy leading the pack so that could actually come into play where it could be worth it if he's tailing these college cars or these junior motorsports cars he might be able to catch some toes and you know be able to turn out some fast laps and you know i don't think the drivers themselves care about that but somebody playing daily fantasy i'm gonna take that point five four points you get for every single one of them so it it could be something to work your way into um just you know, while I think maybe he'll have a solid day, it wouldn't shock me if he's, you know, back half of the top 10 in the teens somewhere. Uh, it's just something I don't think he's going to be able to jump in like we saw him last year. Again, it's a different animal, in my opinion. You have drivers that have a lot more experience, and 
I don't know. We'll 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 see with Ty. I'm just happy he's in the series. Joe Gibbs really <laughs> dragged out that announcement. I don't even think they even announced. It. I think Bob Pockris ended up just you know raining on their parade and said, "Nope, Ty Gibbs is full time." We all knew it. But I'm just happy to see him in the series, like seeing these young drivers come up through the ranks, and it's going to be real fun watching him compete for a championship this year. Yeah, so leading into it is who do we think is going to win the championship this year in the Xfinity series? I, I think it's very plausible for Hemrick to get another. It's plausible for Ty Gibbs to go out there and win one. As you said yourself, you believe they could go out there and lift that trophy. Uh I think also you can't count Almondinger and basically those top three. I think when it comes down to it, those are the only three that we'll really be considering at the end of the season. I mean, I, you could be right. Um, Hemrick, not with the same team. He won the title with last year, obviously um, going to colleague though. You know, they, they had Almondinger in the championship for last year. I don't expect a huge drop off with Hemrick um, right now. Going into the season, I, I, I do kind of agree with those three. I think Hemrick, Ty Gibbs, AJ Allmendinger, not locks by any means, but I think they're three guys that you can feel pretty comfortable about. Um, I'm gonna go a little out into left field here. Um, Josh Berry, um, what a story he was last year, you know. Dale Jr. was able to find some sponsorship for him, gave him a couple races at the beginning of the season, won at Martinsville, uh, got some rides later in the year with some other teams, and then in the one car when uh, Michael Annette had some injury issues, stepped in there, won another race towards the end of the year, I believe at Las Vegas. Um, that's somebody full-time this year. He really impressed me with the part-time schedule. I think him being in the car every week is really going to help out. Um Noah Gregson and Justin Allgaier, his teammates, they're they're going to be right there with him. But if I had to pick that fourth guy right now, well, I feel pretty comfortable with the first three. I'm leaning Josh Berry. And, uh, man, that, that'd be a hell of a story. I really hope that happens. He's a good guy. And I, I would love to see him comes uh, November having a chance at that championship at Phoenix. I mean, I definitely knew that was going to be the guy you're going to bring up. Just <laughs> Josh Berry just being such a fan favorite the way he was hopping in that car. I think it's been a long road, a long journey for him to get here. It's been years where everybody's saying, why doesn't this guy have a full-time ride? Why isn't he in the car every week? Well, like Dale said, he's not Santa Claus. <laughs> but luckily, somebody decided to be Santa Claus and uh, step up with a sponsorship. He's got some great companies behind him now, and I I think he's going to make some noise this year. Um, you know, Had two wins last year. I think you're going to see him back in victory lane. I'm hoping more than two times, and I hope that he's going to be one of those four guys down in Phoenix. It would definitely be a great story, and I think it's been it, it's a deserved ride, and it would be a deserved championship if he does end up getting there. Mm -hmm. So I know we've kind of touched on it a couple times, and just to try and wrap up tonight, we are getting right into the start of the season, Daytona 500 on Sunday. A few guys already even have points on this on the board. Who do you think is going to win the Cup Series championship? Cup Series championship. So, man, um, it's it's a long, long season. I'm right now. I'm leaning a little bit towards Chase Elliott. Uh, I think a lot of people look at his year last year and they say, "Man, he only won two races." He had a lot of runs at the end of the year where if you take out Kyle Larson, who was just on an absolute tear, one of the all-time great seasons you're ever going to see, Chase was right there. Had a couple runner-up finishes to him. Um, arguably could have gotten a couple other wins during the playoffs if it wasn't for Kevin Harvick. But that's somebody who, he was really close to Larson. Um, I, I just don't think anybody really gives him the credit that he deserves because his only two wins were road course wins. And at this point, we just look at Chase as a road course ace. Um, that's where he's had the most success in the Cup Series. That's where he had his only wins last year. But he was really, really close to Larson throughout the year. I'm going to go with him. It's really close. There's a couple other drivers that you could throw in there. Um, Larson obviously being another one wouldn't shock me one bit if he ended up repeating. And then I think Ryan Blaney. Uh, that's another guy where he had arguably a breakout season this past year, um, got three wins, probably one incident in the round of eight for making the final four. 
But the one guy, and while I'm not picking him to win the championship, that I think is going to have that Ryan Blaney-esque breakout season this year, and I know Marky picked him too, is Tyler Reddick. Um, Tyler Reddick, Final Four, I think it's going to happen. And that doesn't necessarily mean I think Tyler Reddick is a top four driver this year, but when you break down the playoffs and you look at these races that are in these rounds, um, Texas, I believe, being moved to the first round, that is a track over the last couple years. He finished second there to Austin Dillon two years ago. He had a car capable of winning there in the fall, made some moves, kind of got shuffled around there at the end. That's somebody where he could get a win there. Um, Round two, always up in the air. That's about survival with the Roval and Talladega in there. But then you move into round three, you have Homestead. That's another track where Tyler Reddick over the last couple of years has excelled at. He's gotten top five runs there in the Cup Series. He has two wins in the Xfinity Series there that helped him clinch championships. I think Tyler Reddick, breakout year, possibly going to have multiple wins. And if he could, you know, manage to win that Homestead race, I think he's going to be good enough to get to the round of eight, just given how the playoffs work out. It's somebody that could really spoil the party comes Phoenix and end up in the championship four. Yeah, I mean, and I think bringing up Homestead being back in the chase, that definitely, if Larson can get to that final round before the final four, that kind of locks him in. And that's going to be Reddick's biggest competition there if he's going for the win. I, I think that's a situation, too, where if it comes down to it, where I expect Kyle Larson to have another really good season, push comes to shove there. Tyler Reddick, I expect to have a good year. I expect him to get his first win. He's going to probably be in a situation where he's going to have to be more desperate. Um, you know, Obviously, I want the season to start. I want to enjoy every race. But that Homestead race, if things shake out like I think they could, Larson and uh, Tyler Reddick battling for a win at Homestead with a final four spot on the line. That that's going to be some really fun stuff. Yeah, definitely for sure. I think for me this year, uh, I could definitely see Kyle getting back to the championship four and going for the title practice is back. And I think that's just going to be amazing for me is even if it's short practices, just to shake down the car is pretty much all this guy was even asking for last year to get him back in the game. And he's got that back. As well, uh, you kind of saw it in the clash, too. I mean, they they had practice. He ended up sitting on the pole and he had a car that was one of the two best cars there all day on Sunday. So could be a unique circumstance just given the track. But I'd say in terms of having the practice back, Kyle's already one for one in that. Yeah. And and, uh, I'm just looking down the schedule here as we were talking about what was in each round. I believe the first round is Darlington, Kansas, and Bristol. Round two is going to be Texas, Talladega, and the Roval. Kind of screws up what I said, but I, I think that helps Reddit because the first round, there's so many. It's it's pretty easy to get out of the first round, especially if you have some kind of like, how the hell did this guy win type winners? So Texas being in the second round, that's actually better for Reddick. Um, you know, that's a rate that's a round where you might need that win given the Roval and Talladega in there. I that actually works out for him and uh it, it could benefit him even more. Yeah, and then round three, you got Vegas, Homestead, and Martinsville. So what I'm thinking here though, when I'm talking about Kyle is maybe struggling a little bit in round two. Round one, I see him doing well at Kansas and Bristol. Those are both tracks that we've seen Kyle perform it in the past, but in no race ever sticks out to me where I've seen Kyle overly performing at Texas. Dega's a coin flip, and I can't really think too much on last time I saw Kyle perform well at a road course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's he's a decent road racer, but I don't know. Like, I, I, I would tend to agree, especially the Roval. Like, if we're, we're talking about the, the Roval being in the playoffs, that's definitely not one of his stronger road courses. He's had good runs at Sonoma and Watkins Glen, but the Roval, definitely not a track that I think of for him. Yeah, I, I mean, and then if he can get past round two, I think Vegas, we know he will perform well at Homestead is kind of an average track, and then Martinsville is another track where he's won in the past, and has great performance. So if he gets past round two, we'll definitely see him in the championship four, in my opinion. My other pick this year, also coming out of the Joe Gibbs camp, is Denny Hamlin. This poor guy has got to win a championship at some point, and he's starting to look like he's back at a peak performance level, especially after last year. He he was kind of like Chase, where like he didn't have the wins, but 
I mean, he, he was even better than Chase. He was the only one that could really match Kyle Larson last year. So I also, I don't think that's a bad pick either. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, this guy's been hunting this championship and he's come so close so many times. It's eventually going to happen for him, right? I, I mean, maybe. Maybe it's this year. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Phoenix, again, is the last track in the Final Four. And there's some drivers that perform better there. A lot of people don't think that that's the best track. Everybody wants to go back to Homestead. NASCAR kind of gave people a little bit of what they want by moving Homestead back late into the chase. Mm-hmm. But it's still not the last track. Um, and I, I know they had a little bit of a deal worked out with Phoenix. I don't know how much longer that will last with the reviews they're getting. I mean, I think they obviously, because of COVID, they didn't have the, the full you know capacity last year. They were definitely going to get this year. I thought the racing was okay. Phoenix, to me, it's not the it's not the type of track that I think of for a championship finale. But the racing there is fine. Uh, the crowd turnout is you know it's going to be better. Um, I think last year last year they sold out, but you know I think you're going to see start seeing the championship finale rotate over the next couple of years. Might be you know like three four year stints, even if the racing's really good. Um, but you know, I'm I'm excited to go back there, especially with after what I saw last year. You had those championship four guys really, really battling it out at the end of the race. Um, I think that you know it'll be an interesting race. Uh, comes November, and real real quick uh, because I I do have Marky's picks here. Uh, since we were talking about final fours, final four, he also has Tyler Reddick, so. I'm glad to see I am not on that island all by myself. Kyle Busch also in his final four. Uh, and William Byron, who I know, that's somebody that Marky has been really high on. Um, he thinks like this is also going to be William Byron's breakout year based on how he was running at the end of last season. And if I'm reading this right, because he didn't leave me a championship pick, but his name's first. So, Mark, if you're listening, when you get back, and if I read this wrong, you could yell at me on the next podcast. But I'm going to say he meant to say Kyle Larson's going to win the championship. Uh, at least that's what I see in the notes here that he sent me. So, you know, I think that's a pretty solid final four. You got some surprises there with Reddick and Byron, but I think Larson and Kyle Busch are ones that you could go, yeah, it's it's not going to be shocking if they make it there. Yeah, of course, there's already a lot of people out there saying Kyle Larson's going to be the next Jimmy Johnson, go out and win four or five in a row. It's so much harder to do it under this format, but it, you know, with how he ran last year, I guess if there's anyone that could do it, it would be Larson. Right, and I mean, then that will be a conversation for years to come because if he does it now, it will be harder than when Jimmy did it. Or Jimmy did it because it was easier because it was in the chase, and Larson only had to win one race at the end. And then you got the true NASCAR fans that said, unless we go back to full season points, championships don't really matter anymore. So I, I, I love our fans. They're they're all over the place. I mean, I, I will say in some ways, Jimmy's championships, I'm not going to say they were easier or harder, but for Jimmy, because of the way the tracks were, it was easier for Jimmy because he had a lot of his best tracks, like Martinsville, Dover. He was always good at Texas and Atlanta. When when he was on his run, the deck was definitely stacked in his favor. Um, I think over time, you started seeing him kind of move tracks around where, hey, maybe Jimmy's not so good here. Like, Chicagoland was a you know a chase race forever. And Jimmy Johnson never won at Chicago in the Cup Series. Ironically, that is the place of his only Xfinity win, but not really a place that I think of Jimmy Johnson being, like, a overly amazing driver. And, you know, you just saw some moves like that where they tried to make it a little bit tougher on the guy, but there's a reason why he's a seven-time champ. So... Well, with that going out, I know we kind of left it out there and haven't quite gotten to it yet, but it's time to pick your Daytona 500 winner. Uh, It's definitely a coin flip most years on who's going to maybe cross the line upside down, upside down on their roof, or maybe even cross the line inside the catch fence. But it has to be done. Uh, And my pick this year is going to be Ryan Blaney. Uh, That Penske camp's strong every year. The Fords are already looking strong. And I think he's going to get it. Uh, Marky also has Ryan Blaney. Um, so you guys uh, definitely thinking alike there. Um, he looked pretty good in his duel today. Um, I think he had the winning move set up. 
I know we touched on that earlier. I think that was a situation of a a rookie driver who maybe wasn't thinking big picture, saw a checkered flag out there, one of his first cup starts, and he tried to go get it, and he kind of hung his teammate out. Um, so I think Ryan Blaney set him up. Uh, if he had a different driver other than Austin Sindrick behind him, I think it would have paid off. So he definitely showed his stuff. Definitely a favorite. I did preseason predictions way earlier in the year, probably right after the checkered flag dropped it at uh, uh, Phoenix last year. You know, initially, I was feeling Kevin Harvick was going to win the Daytona 500. There's a track record of big-name drivers coming off winless seasons winning the Daytona 500 the following year. You saw Dale Earnhardt do it in 1998. Uh, Matt Kenseth was another one. He did it in 2009 after a winless season. Denny Hamlin in 2019 after his winless season in 2018. Dale Earnhardt Jr., another one in 21 and 2014. Uh, Ryan Newman is another one that comes to mind, too, when he won in 2008. It happens. It's a trend. However, I'm going to throw that out. Uh, I've been sitting on this one for a while, and this is why we were probably ending it with this. Um, We talked about tinfoil hats and stuff in the podcast we did earlier in the week on the Daytona 500 polls. Uh, Matt, I got another one for you right here. So in 2011, we had a rookie driver driving the 21 car, making his second career start in Trevor Bain. Who's driving the 21 car this week? Harrison Burton. And and what what start is this for Harrison Burton? Uh, according to you, I think it's the second start. I think it's Harrison Burton's second start in the Cup Series. You would be correct. Uh, do you know what happened to Trevor Bain in his dual race in 2011? He got wrecked. He he ran very well, like Harrison Burton did, all day. And on the last lap of the race, he got involved in a wreck, which was also um, had a former series champion involved uh, in it. Uh, Jeff Gordon was in that wreck in 2011, and Joey Logano uh, obviously caused this wreck that we saw happen today. And also, just the cherry on top of this, as of recording this right now, they are trying to fix Harrison Burton's car. Do you know what the Wood Brothers did in 2011 after Trevor Bain got in that crash? What did they do? They fixed his car. They didn't go to the backup. I'm going full tinfoil hat here. Harrison Burton, second career start. You're going to see it come Sunday. I'm going there. He is going to win the Daytona 500. Well, I think you're asking the stars to align on a long shot here, bud. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm going to throw some money down on it. It's worth it. It's definitely worth it. We saw a long shot hit last year in Michael McDowell. Why not Harrison Burton on Sunday? Give me the 21 car. 100 wins for the Wood Brothers. You're going to see it Sunday afternoon in Daytona. All right, well, going out on session exciting note, we're going to see the stars align. You better get ready to see pigs fly on Sundays. Harrison Burton takes that checkered flag, apparently. No, but no, also... no. If pigs fly, then Eric Amarola is going to win. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, so, as we said, Daytona 500 coming up this Sunday. We got truck racing tomorrow night that we're all excited for, and the Xfinity race, of course, happening on Saturday action-packed weekend at Daytona. Can't wait to see it. Don't forget to head over to Twitter. Follow us. It's at BernieLytics. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you always know when the next episode comes out. We'll talk to you next week as we break down the results on Daytona, tell you how Bernie did, how our betting went, and fancy teams, and hopefully our wallets aren't empty and there's no tears rolling down our face. We'll catch you next time.